Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. Today I've got a uh, full house. I've got three men joining me for this episode. We're looking forward to a good conversation. Um, These three men have several things in common. All three are OPC pastors. They are all in Southern California. I believe they all may be from Southern California originally, though I'm not sure on that one. Uh, I believe all were involved in OPC church planting. And interestingly, all were former Calvary Chapel pastors before coming into the Reformed world and OPC churches. And so I have with me, first of all, Jonathan Morsch, who is in San Clemente at Trinity Presbyterian Church. I have Jesse Purcell, who is in Temecula at Providence Presbyterian Church. And I have Chris Hartshorn, who is in Anaheim Hills at Anaheim Hills Presbyterian Church. And so you're going to hear from them in a moment. We're thankful for them taking uh, their time to join us for this conversation. And guys, thanks for being with us. Let me let me get the ball rolling and set up the first question this way. There's probably one other thing you all have in common, and it's something that a lot of people say about your churches. Don't panic. It's uh, good news. Uh, But it may be something you are or are not aware of to varying levels, but I know that you won't say it to our audience, so I'm going to say it to our audience. People tend to say that your churches and your congregations have done a pretty good job at creating a welcoming environment. I've heard it from people who have visited. I've heard it from elders. I've heard it from elders talking about what visitors say. They all kind of say, Reformed Church, not the easiest world to jump into, but these guys are are, uh, thinking about this and their congregations are creating an environment where they're welcoming people. So what I want to do is set you up to talk about Obviously, you don't do this on your own, but you have to think about it a bit. So if each of you could kind of, we'll dig into some particulars, but if you could just kind of give an overview of how you think about being in a Reformed church, but creating a welcoming environment to reach people who are uh, uh, lost, unbelievers, unchurched, unfamiliar with our church culture, and, and how do you create spaces, and how do you get the community and the congregation, by the community, I mean your own people behind that. Jesse, if I could start with you, how do you think about creating a welcoming environment into a Reformed church for people who have no idea what that is? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a a wonderful question. Um, In my own history, obviously coming out of Calvary Chapel and bringing uh, a wife and children from that setting uh, into the Reformed world. I had a lot of experience visiting Reformed churches as a newly Reformed person. Um, and I already had a ton of pre-commitments, uh, unlike uh, my wife and children, <laughs> meaning I was going to be in a Reformed church uh, no matter how poorly it was done or not. And that was not quite the same necessarily uh, for the whole family unit. And so just, I think, through the experience of coming to certain reform congregations where there really was almost an, an unspoken dare 
to to stay? Like, are you going to be reformed enough to you know deal with kind of the certain things that are aesthetically off-putting or just difficult to kind of grapple with as far as things being done well or kind of quality of of, of music or even just kind of the seriousness um, or not seriousness, more of a a distance or an unintentional lack of friendliness in, in the congregations. I think having experienced that, and again, a lot of these congregations were in due time, we found to be wonderful, uh, both people and uh, and congregations. And yet the kind of initial experience was a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, and so experiencing that and then going into a church planning setting, especially in Southern California, just asking the questions of what are some of the initial first things that people witness uh, and experience as they come into a church and how can we make those things not part of the equation as far as what they will be offended by there's plenty of stuff i think in the reformed faith that is wonderful uh, and beautiful and yet is not uh, immediately um, appetizing for you know the, the general evangelical public and will be hard pills to swallow even though i think they are things that people can uh, embrace and find to be uh, not only true but beautiful but i think if we you know the offense is, you know, at the front door, uh, you know, with whether it be just an unwelcoming feel or kind of an uncaring disposition toward the facility or those sorts of things. I think we do ourselves a disservice uh, by not allowing them kind of those first steps into embracing something that we think would be, you know, good for them and good for their soul and good for their family, but try to help, I guess, in that regard, help them take those initial steps so we can have those deeper conversations. Jonathan, how about you? How do you think about creating a welcoming culture in your church to outsiders? Well, that was something we wanted to do um, from day one when we started uh, Trinity. Was that was we we wanted to create this welcoming environment, and I think like Jesse, you know, having that personal experience of of stepping into a Reformed church for the first time and bringing my wife with me, who I want to credit, give all credit to her. Because uh, she's way more sensitive to how people feel and able to read, um, you know, people's. Um, I don't know. I think she can read people's minds. She can read mine, <laughs> my mind for sure. But um, yeah, that was something. You know, just in the vi- environment we're in, nine times out of ten, if people visit us, they are new to the Reformed faith, whether they're Christians, believers, or not. This is something that's brand new for them, and so just not wanting to add to the offense of the cross, right? There's a lot of things that are going to be different than the the church that they're used to or their church experience. So, you know, one of the things we did early on at Trinity is we had, you know, we have bulletins that we hand out to people. And um, we got our elders' daughters who were probably at the time, um, maybe 12, 10, 10, 11, 12 years old at the time. That's just very disarming. You know, you come to a church and you have this little girl who's handing you a a bulletin, you know, and, and um, I think, you know, drawing on my experience, having come from Calvary Chapel, which I, I do want to clarify, I, unlike these other brothers, I was never technically ordained in Calvary Chapel. Um, I was probably on my way, but became reformed, which, you know, creates difficulties there. But, uh, you know, going to my first reformed church actually wasn't an OPC, it was a URC, historically Dutch reformed church. It was a Thanksgiving Day service, which is pretty typical uh, in the Dutch Reformed tradition to have a, a church service on Thanksgiving Day. 
and, and it was it was just completely different. It was another world from what I was used to, but the preaching was sound, and I was I was already con, um, convinced of the Reformed faith. So I appreciated the preaching. And then the other thing that I, I came away with is that, you know, it was Thanksgiving Day. We had probably at least five invitations to go to people's houses to have Thanksgiving dinner with them. So that was, you know, that was something I, I came away thinking, even though this is completely different, I, I heard the preaching of the word and people were friendly. That's something that, you know, I think if we can continue doing that is encouraging people not to just afterwards, after the service, not to just you know form their own little groups and get in their own conversations and ignore the visitors, but go out of their way to to talk with people, especially new faces, to introduce themselves in a friendly manner. So so those those are a couple things we wanted to do from day one, and I, I think I feel like it needs to be constantly people need to be constantly reminded to do that. Um, I, I feel like now, especially in this age of COVID, you know we're meeting outside right now. We're not quite sure. Um, if we should be talking with people after the service and as things are getting back to normal, I think that's something that we might need to reinforce and, and encourage people as we're getting back to normal. And, you know, while it's, it's hard to talk with somebody with a face mask on, you know, but, um, but yeah, those, those are a couple things that jump, uh, jump off. Good. Thanks, Jonathan. How about you, Chris? Uh, as these brothers were talking, I was, I was thinking about uh, going back to Calvary Chapel, thinking about the ways that uh that we did that we did church planning in Calvary Chapel and for for me you know being here in the United States in New York City for four and a half years and then for three and a half years in Lawrence Kansas by myself you know the first time I was single so I'm in New York City trying to get a church going by myself I mean I, I showed up I didn't know a person I didn't know anybody and one one of the things that I learned in Calvary and had a great appreciation for was the word of God. So you're, you're going to study scripture and you're going to go through every book and uh, you're just going to go book by book. And what I noticed was that my life was changing as I studied scripture. And as I, as I went through these books, I was growing in not only my understanding of scripture, but the Christian life. And I was changing. It was making me radically different than I was before. So when they sent me to East Harlem to do ministry, I had my Bible. That's what I had. And then I'd walk up to people on the streets or we'd go to some kind of event and we'd have other people that would came out and, and would meet people and then introduce them to me. And what I, what I realized was that uh, I have to learn how to talk to people in such a way, communicate with them, be friendly in such a way where they're going to come over to my, into my living room and I'm going to open up the Bible, tell them what it says tell them what it means in such a way that they actually want to come back again into this really awkward situation the following week when there may be five people or 10 people or 20 people or whatever until we get into a building or whatever. So from the very beginning for me, it was about communicating with people, you know, having an, an idea of what they're thinking, not just what I'm thinking, right? This idea of being sender oriented versus receiver oriented is always something that's stuck in my mind. It's so easy to be sender oriented to, as a pastor, to to have all this information crammed into our heads in seminary. And then we just want to tell everybody what we learned in seminary. And we're not really maybe thinking automatically about them. It takes work to think about where those people are coming from. They didn't go to seminary. You know, they work a nine to five or they're raising their kids in the home and they don't read Burkhoff or Turretin or these different guys. And so just to constantly think about 
where people are coming from. And so fast forward to Anaheim Hills, when they walk into our building, trying to think about what they're thinking about, they're walking into a community center where they just had a, you know, quinceanera the night before, and there's punch stains all over the carpet. And now it's a church, right? It's a church on Sunday morning, but they're looking around going, this is totally weird, right? And, but from the beginning and coming out of Calvary for me, that was something that I was always thinking about and have constantly been trying to teach and to remind our people about, like, we want to be open to people that are coming in, that are coming from various backgrounds, unbelieving, believing, cult backgrounds, whatever the case may be, and just kind of meet them where they really are. That's not just a cliche, to, to really meet them where they are to the best of our ability. And so those are the kind of things that I've been thinking about for like 20 years um, as a church planter, as a, as a pastor. Chris, can I follow up on that? The idea of being, I think you said, receiver-oriented versus sender, E-S-E-N-D-E-R, oriented. Yeah. Can you yeah. flesh that out a little bit? You said, think about it a lot. Uh, but what is that? So somebody's listening to this, whether a pastor or just a congregant, and they've been in the reform world for 20 years and kind of forget what it was like. They didn't right. have the experience you three had of, of entering into the reformed world you know, at, at some point and searching out churches. Flesh it out a little bit. What's it look like to think about the receiver and and how does that change your speaking and your hosting in your home and talking to them on the street, that type of thing. And I'm going to come to you other two guys on the same type of question in a minute. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think typically just the default is for us to be where we are as human beings, pastors or anybody else, just kind of assume that everybody thinks like us. Assume that everybody has the same experience that we have, knows the same things we know, believes the same ways that we believe about things, and you kind of just communicate with people along those lines. And there's just an assumption that they're going to get what you're saying. You know, if they don't, they're at fault. And obviously, that's a really it's it's a wrong way to go about things. And and part of I think communicating, I think part of and a really important part of being a pastor is to think about a church planner is to think about not just what you know, but what other people know or don't know, what their lacks are, what their deficiencies are, et cetera, and start, and start where they are. Don't assume they're somewhere else where you are, but start where they truly are to the best of your ability and try to bring them along uh, as scripture would define bringing them along. And that's something that takes constant, I think, practice and constant work to go back and remember, you know, what it was like to be a non-Christian, right? I was actually on a call just before this one, and and I was I was remembering the first time I ever heard uh, it was a uh, athletes in action or some something when I was like a seventeen or eighteen year old kid playing high school sports and just having my first engagement with Christianity, and they were saying God has to be first in your life, and I was thinking no way God will ever be first in my life. If I worship God, if I go to church, he'll never be first in my life. And I just had that, that thought this morning, like, obviously for us, that's obviously completely skewed and flawed view, but that's where I was as a 17 year old kid. And, and it's really important for us to remember that that's where we were at one time. And, but for the grace of God, that, that would be where we still are today. And just to do that constant work when we're preparing sermons or talking to people or whatever, just to think about not just what I know or where I am, but to, to try to put myself in their shoes, to, to try to think like they're thinking. And, and a way to go about that is not just to 
overwhelm them with information, but ask questions, right? Ask kind of probing questions, questions to diagnose what they think, what they believe, where they're coming from, so that you can actually answer questions they have uh, and speak to issues they actually have rather than rather than things you think they are thinking or things they don't really believe, but you think they believe and you're trying to, you're answering the wrong questions, right? You're barking up the wrong tree consistently. And so I just, I don't do it perfectly. I could do it better. I think I need to spend more time on this sort of thing, but at least these are the kind of, of ideas that are rattling around in my head that I think are helpful uh, for me and also for people in our church uh, to be thinking about. Thanks for that, Chris. Um, Jesse, as you as you kind of listen to Chris talk about that, thinking about where people are coming from, does anything come to mind for you? You may not, you may kind of do it naturally now that you've been doing it a while, but are there things that, that you might do intentionally either in just one-on-one conversation or preaching or as a church as a whole and welcoming people where you are consciously trying to think about where people are coming from and adapt your communication to to, to sort of speak to that? Yeah, I think, you know, that, that question could be taken a lot of different directions, but as Chris was speaking, I think one of the things that stood out to me or struck me is just kind of remembering, again, some of those first experiences, not only with me visiting Reformed churches as a, a newly Reformed person, but coming into the Reformed ministry as a, you know, a young seminarian or a licentiate and going around to different churches and, you know, standing at the door a little bit at, at the end and kind of hearing how conversations took place. And, you know, speaking especially to Chris's point, I think there were times where Reformed folks would forget, again, that people aren't where they're at at any given time necessarily. So, you know, I remember one of the first times I preached in Temecula, but I wasn't the minister here. I was coming as a, a licentiate. And there was a new visitor, and one of the members immediately asked him whether he was Vantilian or Clarkian. And this is not a uh, this is not me joking. This was a true question of a visitor to a church for the first time. And that's where we're thinking, you know, uh, as I stood there and kind of the this, the visceral reaction that this visitor had, like the this kind of quizzical look that went across their face, like what in in the world are you talking about? Number one, but number two how it was taken for granted that that really would be, you know, an appropriate and normal first conversation with somebody. Uh, and I think just coming to, to realize that God really is a, a gracious Savior, and our sanctification is a an extremely slow and at times seemingly imperceptible process. And being committed as a congregation to meet people where they're at and being okay if they remain there for a while, that people don't have to be signing off on every, you know, particular, you know, peculiar belief we may have as far as, you know, not merely what the Bible and the confession say, but, you know, what about these other kind of uh, coded things that we believe and just allowing them to be a part of a community, learn to love the community and be loved by the community so that they can even be open to learning some of those things. And I think sometimes we rush headlong in the way that we communicate as opposed to just getting to know these people as embodied human creatures who have real needs and problems that go far beyond, you know, answering the epistemological questions that may be on the forefront of our mind uh, and allowing them to be human and loving them as such so that you can get that buy-in with them where they really will listen to maybe harder conversations as time goes on. Um, and so things like that, I think, you know, again, 
trying to hear where people are at, not being snide in our remarks to the traditions they're coming out of. You know, we think that because they visited our church, that means they're committed now to being Presbyterian at times. It's like they may just be there on a lark. And so the way that we discuss the church they're coming from or the beliefs that they have, if we don't do that respectfully, even if we're going to say something in disagreement, but to do it in a way where there's some empathy in our conversation with them, we really end up, you know, ostracizing uh, and creating distance unnecessarily. Jonathan, same question as you're listening. How, how do you orient yourself to where people are coming from and sort of adjust your communication to, to, to help them from the various backgrounds and, and places they're coming from? Yeah, I think, I mean, not just to echo what my brothers just said, but, you know, getting to know them as an Im- image bearer of God, um, not just as uh, a person who's completely like-minded, um, expecting people to come in holding different views and not jumping down their throat immediately if they don't have it all figured out. You know, I could think of personal stories. Uh, you know, one time my family and I were going, we were going to visit some family on, I, I believe it was, I think it was Easter Sunday, and we wanted to make sure we went to a church. And so it was a Reformed church that we found in the area and had left early, didn't have time for breakfast. So we stopped and got McDonald's for breakfast. And um, you know, n- nothing worse than leaving McDonald's in your car, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, well, we got to throw away this trash. And surely there's going to be a trash can somewhere between here and the church and no trash can. So we walk into the, you know, the foyer of the church, there's no trash can and they're friendly and everything. And the a deacon comes up and, you know, we're holding trash and, um, you know, I could, I could, I could see how, you know, th- this deacon might think they just violated the fourth commandment. And this guy was so gracious, he took the trash and, you know, I don't know where he ended up throwing it away, but um, expecting people to come in, not that, that aren't going to be completely have all their ducks in a row. And actually, I, I think I might prefer that um, to receive visitors who, who don't have it all figured out, but at least are willing to hear and, and be teachable. I'm, I'm more leery of people who come in who maybe have been raised in the Reformed faith or have, you know, they're kind of dyed in the wool, you know, they're, they're Van Tillian, they, you know, they have this, they have that, they have, you know, and, and then you think, oh gosh, what if they disagree with me? What, what if they hold a different view of the days of creation than me? And I, I'm, I start getting, you know, breaking out in a cold sweat when people come in dropping theological jargon. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd much rather converse with, you know, broad evangelical who, who just wants to hear the word. Because I think at the end of the day, to get back to what Chris was saying, you know, all he had in New York was him and his Bible. At the end of the day, that's all we have too to offer. We, we're not going to be able to compete with um, with the Saddlebacks, with the Calvary Chapels, with the big churches that have the huge budgets and the and the professional musicians and the light shows and all the rest. Really, at the end of the day, all we have are the words of life. And if we can convince ourselves that Reformed Christianity is nothing more than biblical Christianity. And if all it takes is to open your Bible and you're going to be led into the way of truth, which is, I think, what happened to all three of us when we were in Calvary Chapel, right? Then we have so much more confidence to engage with people and say, hey, let's open our Bibles. Let's, let's see where this leads us. Thanks for that. Um, you've all mentioned probably well-known quirks when you show up at a Reformed church, the possibility of 
the types of, you know, greetings and things, well-meaning people, but maybe not just tracking with the conversation we're talking about. I wonder how you three sort of expand your thinking and your thoughts that you've talked about to your congregations. How do you, how do you create a more welcoming environment? And, you know, we, we all know the circumstances. There's, there's people who maybe are out in the world all week and are just dying to come to church and talk about reformed theology and see a visitor and just they're genuinely think this is going to be the greatest greeting that they can give. I mean, they're not, they're not uh, poor motives here. But nonetheless, you look around at your congregation, do a quick scan, who's greeting whom, and what's going on, and who do I have to, you know, kind of take care of? How do you deal with the, 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 the whole congregation and people coming in, people who've been long-term reformed? How do you train them, help them, encourage them, create an environment? Uh, how do you do it more broadly for, for the group as a whole? Let me go with you, Jesse. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, at least Calvary Chapel did pretty well was, and you know, this may sound odd depending on the different conversations, but I remember they, they took us seriously as as members who, you know, didn't have membership, but they took us seriously in the sense that they believed that we could take what they were saying uh, and do something with it. You know, they trusted us, if you will, as, you know, full-grown adults, if they were, if they were going to teach for an hour and 15 minutes, it's because, you know, we could all handle it, um, whether it was good or not, it's a whole nother matter. Uh, and I think one of the things I learned early on in church planting is that you can entrust your congregation with, you know, counsel and information in, in such a way where you say, hey, let's make sure when, when people come that we're having, you know, these sorts of conversations, you know, there's definitely... Uh, time for theological debate and theological, uh, you know, deeper things, but make sure, you know, you're greeting new visitors. Make sure that, you know, we're all uh, odd, I think, in particular ways, uh, but obviously I think every congregation you get some who are maybe a little bit more odd. You know, as Flannery O'Connor said, the truth will set you free, but it will also make you you odd, and there are some who really take that uh, adage and, and run with it. And so, you know, those trusted leaders that you may have in your congregation to kind of have their eye out and say, hey, when so-and-so corners a new visitor, and if they're there for more than 10 minutes, maybe we could help them out, you know, and join the conversation and just kind of steer things just so that you're giving people a bit of a reprieve that they know, okay, there is some normality here. And, you know, every church you go to, even, I mean, I think what uh, Calvary's benefit is you have thousands of people, so it covers up the oddity a little bit more, you know. Uh, in our churches, if they're smaller, those things stick out. And so just having honest conversations and just also in, in our teaching time, whether it be Sunday school or other things, we really would go out of our way to address the fact that, look, you know, we want to take the Reformed faith seriously, but let's not take ourselves so seriously. You know, let's just be, you know, engage with people in your genuine interest, get to know who they are, you know, uh, invite them over and be friendly in those sorts of ways. And again, not have to jump into the deep end immediately. Um, and, you know, entrust them as a congregation with ways and tactics, how we can reach out to new visitors, knowing that there are some in our congregations who are far more skilled at it than we are, uh, and really setting them free to do those things. Um, and again, I think just trusting that they can take that and run with it. We've seen a lot of success in that regard as far as we've had people that have really just owned up to that particular part of their calling as members of the church and have been a huge boon. I mean, when people talk about the growth in Temecula that we've had, 
I would love to take a lot of credit for it, but really it was four or five families who were just abundantly kind, extremely hospitable, were, were normal, made people feel accepted, and gave us a long runway with people, people who wholly disagreed with us, especially our worship, which was really off-putting to a lot of people. But they really bought us a lot of time in the sense that these people would sit and hear. And the problem with that is, you know, the longer you sit in that sort of service, it's really hard to go back, uh, you know, to Metallica on Christmas Eve, which is something that really did happen in Temecula. And that's how we got a member uh, to join the church eventually. They hated liturgy, and then they went back to their old church, and it was Metallica on Christmas Eve, and they joined about a month later. So uh, I think, you know, long answer to a short question, but I think we can entrust our people uh, by speaking to them plainly about uh, ways to, to approach. Thanks, Jesse. Chris, are there specific examples you can think of or specific venues where you guys try to encourage the broader group in these manners? Jesse's talking about, you know, speaking honestly to them. Um, I've been to your church once. I kind of know a little bit about what you do. Can, can you share some specific examples and venues and spaces and environments and how you encourage people to be more welcoming and to create this sort of culture of welcoming beyond just you and a couple leaders? I think the the Sunday school hour is always a great hour uh, for us to to talk about things and and the way we do Sunday school at Anaheim Hills and we've always done it this way is that it's a it's an interactive Sunday school so I invite questions and I'm willing to go you know we kid a lot about going down rabbit holes or whatever and and maybe not getting very far I don't need to cover any amount of ground in a Sunday school lesson. Uh, I think I remember what Sunday school is like. We haven't done it for like six months, but I, th I think I remember how we used to do it. But, uh, you know, I would have something to cover, but any I, anybody and everybody always has complete permission to ask a question and to go in any direction that they want. And I And then I have the right to steer us back whenever I feel like it or go down a rabbit hole when I want to. But that, that really opens up a lot of uh, opportunities for us to to think together and to go back and forth on different issues or topics. And we've studied a lot. Uh, we've spent a lot of time in Sunday schools on doctrine of the church. We spent a lot of time on evangelism and outreach. And so those are, those are topics where we have a lot of discussion, but we might get two sentences into what I have in front of me and it might be a 45 minute discussion. And I'm also really thankful that our Sunday school class, um, we have like 90 to 95% attendance. So like nobody leaves unless they have to go somewhere. Every, everybody stays. All of our kids are in Sunday school for their, for their age level and almost every single adult stays. And so our whole church dialogues every Sunday about what we're talking about. And one of the things that I do is, um, and maybe I press, I, I know I press the boundaries sometimes, but I'm not afraid to poke fun at ourselves, at, at, at us as a church, at us as, um, individual Christians at our church and, and the OPC as a denomination. And, and I don't mean to, to take that in a negative direction, but, I, you know, constantly saying, you know, OPC does not mean the only perfect church, right? Um, that we can grow, that we can not take ourselves so seriously, that we can, you know, this, that, and the other. And so we're, we're just constantly working through these sorts of things. And I would say, like Jesse said, you know, I'd like to take credit for uh, some of the stuff that's not really me. It, it just happens that, just so happens that we have certain people that are really good at being hospitable. 
and really good at being kind and open and gracious to people that come in for the first time. And it's also really cool that other people that weren't so great at it have caught on, have learned. And so, you know, after church on Sunday morning or Sunday night, you know, we, we until recently, until COVID, we, we met in a community center and every Sunday night, because we had a shorter time period, I'd have to kick our people out and say, let's go out into the fellowship hall, which is the parking lot, right? Jokingly saying that because everybody just loves to sit and talk and spend time together. And every Sunday morning, even in the parking lot, it's 95 degrees and everybody's out there for an hour, even right now in 95 degree weather, because they love to spend time with one another, talking to one another. And sometimes it's about, you know, high and lofty theological things. But other times this is just about getting to know one another and what's going on in their lives, what's going on with your child that's having a grandchild, you know, and or what's going on with this health situation with your relative or whatever. And people really genuinely over the last few years have come to care deeply about one another. And that also carries over to people that come and, and that are new. And so I really appreciate it. Just a, a story that came to mind that really broke my heart early on. Um, going back to what I said before, we were, when we were still at Bible study, we were meeting in a tennis club in Anaheim Hills. And uh, there was a guy that, that came to us this was really cool. I, I thought that was really cool. This guy came to us and um, he worked with a guy that I used to work with before. And he's telling my buddy about all these things he'd discovered in the Bible and all of these views that he now held because he'd been reading and studying his Bible. And he said, my buddy says to him, hey, you're reformed. And he goes, well, what's that? And he goes, well, go to my buddy's Bible study and uh, he'll tell you all about it. And so he came and he he couldn't believe it coming out of a big evangelical church. And as he studied his Bible, he he came to believe a lot of the things that we were teaching and the Bible studies and stuff like that. And he was just so excited about the church and the church plant, and he would do anything and everything. But the problem was his wife wasn't on board and he thought we were kind of a cult, which, you know, you can see where that comes from. And she thought we were kind of a cult and she was into the big evangelical church and her kids were there and grandkids were there or whatever. And so he finally, after like months, talks her into visiting one time and she comes and, you know, I'm aware she's there for the first time. And the same time she comes, the, the one and only time she ever came, this guy that was just super hardcore walked up to her and just started inundating her after the Bible study with all of these questions, kind of like the Clark Van Til question. And I had to go and separate the two of them, you know, and she never, she never came back. And her husband says she, she didn't like it. She didn't like what happened and she's never coming back. And eventually the husband had to leave as well. And, uh, and then, you know, I got word not too long ago that she died of cancer and I was, you know, I was heartbroken. I'd lost track of them. I would have loved to have been able to minister to them. And I thought I had a shot as she showed up and she was warm and she was kind of on board to give it a shot. And then she was just overwhelmed and said, I can't do it, you know? And then eventually this guy that was so excited about the Reformed faith was such a great guy. He had to leave too. You know, I would have loved to have been able to minister to her as she was sick and minister to him as he ministered to her and and took her through the chemo and stuff that they went through. And that was just really heartbreaking for me, even before we started worship. And for me, in my mind, I was like, I really need to stay focused on on the things that matter the most. You know, like Jonathan said, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, keeping that central, keeping that in the middle, 
helping people to realize that's the most important thing. Everything else kind of flows out of that. And, and kind of, to me, the way I think about what we do is there are certain like basic fundamental things that we do as we think about what's important in our, in the reformed church. And I think they've both alluded to it already, but the word of God is the word of God. And we never move away from that. The gospel is central. We never move away from that. And then there's just different areas that we can get into that are more or less important, you know, over time, you know, for me becoming more and more confessional for people, right? Like the first thing you have to believe the gospel, you have to receive and, and rest in the arms of Christ, you know, resting in Christ. That's the first thing, but we can be really patient and we can even be patient getting them to that place too, to some degree, but then moving on from there and, and introducing the rest of what we believe as reformed and covenantal people. I got nothing but time for that sort of thing. So to be patient with people, to to take time with people, and um, to kind of really understand what matters the most. Thanks, guys, for taking the time to do that. I think our audience will find it very helpful in a broad section of people that listen about how we communicate our message and our culture and who we are, particularly to people that aren't familiar with it. So we appreciate your time. Pray that the Lord will bless your ministry, but thanks for your time today. Thank, Thank you, you very so much, much for having us. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.